0: Hello and welcome back to Homeschool Together. Thanks so much for joining us. If you have a chance, head down to the show notes and hit the subscribe button. We're trying to raise enough money to get Ariel to get a tattoo of Homeschool Together on her back
1: mean to buy a t-shirt i buy a t-shirt you
0: buy a t-shirt yeah you no, buy the hat buy would i give you the hat <laughs> we have a hat <laughs> we have a hat i'll get the tattoo let's get some swag my jean starwin star tattoo on my shoulder
1: oh well, gosh i'm really glad 18 year old matt did not make that decision didn't do that That would have been a hard thing to to uh explain at 40 <laughs> yeah. hey i've got this uh, giant red star or whatever <laughs> on my uh on my shoulder from an anime that i was really into as a teenager that would have been hard to explain
0: the kids would have gotten it the kids would have gotten it. yeah they could totally anyway this week we, <laughs> we digress we, are, we digress <laughs> (laughs) We are back with part two of our interview with Jeannie Faulkner. And this one is more of a, you know, we got the temperature of the modern day homeschool experience. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeannie is really uh, tied into a lot of the um, political issues that are surrounding uh, homeschooling, Mm -hmm. a um, a lot of the concerns that a lot of new homeschoolers may have when they are first, you know, welcomed into the community when they're Mm -hmm. testing it. She's talked to parents, she's been a coach. She's worked on policy. She's worked with um, uh, the Brave Learner um, uh, organization yeah. there as well. Brave um, so she has been um, Brave Writer, yeah, and she has been basically touched a lot of different aspects of the homeschooling, you know, community and and and, yeah. and the movers and shakers. And it's it was really nice to talk to somebody who's well connected, in the know, in the know, right? Mm-hmm. And then we talked a lot about like the modern things that we're starting to see with a lot of the educational. Um, Uh, savings accounts, um, backpack funding, things of that nature that are appearing in different states. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of different um, experimentation with respect to funding alternative education and homeschooling is being lumped into those um, right along the way. So a lot of things that may interest you, um, may impact you if you're in certain states, things that may be open to you. So we talked a little bit about that, some pros and cons.
1: Yeah. And how we can get involved, right? Absolutely. I feel like this is is something that we all have to, as a community, to support and advocate for ourselves and other homeschoolers around us. So yep. talking to somebody like Jeannie is just so enlightening. She's got so many interesting things to say. I wish we could just spend all day talking to her. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't listened to part one of this interview, yep. definitely go and listen to that. That's the, the, her perspective as a homeschooling parent who homeschooled her kids all the way through college. So into college, not she didn't homeschool. You got what I meant. Yes, got I, I got I it. I got it. So, um, so yeah, definitely listen to that part. Homeschooling college, yeah, that's a new yeah, one. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, but there's not accreditation for that yet. <laughs> not yet. Uh, so yeah, definitely listen to that part of the interview too if you want to hear more of that personal side of her journey. Um, but this is a really great look into the homeschooling community Absolutely. and her role as an advocate and coach.
0: And she's a big-time uh, Trekkie, so we have a little bit of a bonus question at the end if you are a Trek fan. Stay, stay, stay tuned. tuned. All the way to the very end, and we will have. Uh, she will give us our... Her number one recommendation for episodes for us to watch. So I will. I will <laughs> so tag. I'll tag tuned. that. I'll tag that at the end. This is
1: a great interview. So we hope you all enjoy it. Here is part two with Jeannie Faulkner. Jeannie, thanks so much for coming back on the show.
2: I am so glad to be here. This is a lot of fun. Thank
1: you. Well, we're excited to talk to you. We we spoke with you last week about your role as a, a homeschool educator, and now we want to pivot. You've had. Twenty-ish years of homeschool advocacy um, and coaching, and so we want to kind of just frame this: What have the, been the, some of the big changes that you've seen in that time period? Obviously, we've gone through a very large change here with COVID, and you know everybody knows a homeschooler now. Um, yeah. But you know, w- what kind of general trends have you seen during that time period um, that you know we can kind of look at see what the writing is on the wall, maybe where we're going in the future?
2: Well, I'll echo what you said, which is the pandemic definitely brought more people to homeschooling and more awareness of homeschooling than we ever could have expected. So that was a a huge change. People who never would have considered homeschooling before found themselves very much wanting to homeschool and doing it. And we do know that many people continued, even though their local brick and mortar school opened back up. So it has made a, a change I would say also the whole online learning infrastructure has been growing and growing and growing. And some of that is through public virtual schools or through charters. And some of it is providing platforms or services to homeschoolers. There's all kinds of online learning, many different ways that online learning gets delivered, but that's been huge. On top of that, I would say the amount of money that has come into reaching students who are learning at home. I'm phrasing that carefully because in some states that won't officially be homeschoolers. For instance, in my home state of Virginia, there you're not a homeschooler if you're using a virtual public school, even though you might be using it at home. And it's always a point of contention. New folks are like, I'm homeschooling, I'm using virtual Virginia, and we have to carefully tell them you're not, and we don't mean anything ugly by that, but you're not going to follow the right laws if you and the right rules and understand the requirements of the two different types of education. But providers of educational services that can be distribu- distributed through local and state schools and departments of education have really wanted to get in on the act because it is a lot of money. So if they can receive funding for a platform or program that they develop once from a school division or department of education, they can make a lot of money. So the amount of money that's coming into learning at home through online learning is also part of what is changing the face of homeschooling. And lastly, I'll say that who is homeschooling is a very big difference over the years. We have, you know, we used to very much think that uh, it was the mom at home who was homeschooling. She probably had cut back or given up an outside job or always intended to be a homemaker and probably had a breadwinner spouse Now we know that single parents homeschool, working parents homeschool, moms and dads and moms and moms tag team homeschooling together. We know that neighbors and friends homeschool together and form pods and co-ops and those sorts of things. We know that fathers often are the homeschooler uh, officially and the mom may be working We know that it's not just wealthy people who are homeschooling. We can look at the statistics from NCES, which are the people who bring us the census. And we can see that a lot of families whose kids would qualify for free lunch if they went to school actually are homeschooling. So there's been sort of this um, idea that it was only an elite group of people that were homeschooling, possibly also only religious people who were homeschooling. And so we're seeing a big difference in who is homeschooling today.
1: It's really interesting. Yeah. We, we have definitely of all the homeschool families, we know they're all have different makeups mm-hmm. as far as who is the primary educator. We have one family who the mom has stayed home, but because the father is a firefighter, he does part of the educating when he's home. We've interviewed, we interviewed a couple that were um, they were both working full time and they yeah. just <laughs> alternated their schedule. Yeah, they
0: were a physician and an engineer. I mean, very yeah. busy, and they they were alternating there, and then there were um, some some parents who had at home businesses that they were running, you know, farms and whatnot, and they're able to homeschool as well. Yeah, you're right. I and we've we've heard that. And do you think that was driven mainly by the pandemic, or were you seeing that those statistics before the pandemic?
2: I can't say as far as statistics, other than I do know the statistics about uh, the kids who qualify for reduced price and free lunches. Uh, and it's also true that I know that from the same batch of statistics that more people were homeschooling than ever who did not say their main reason for homeschooling was a religious reason. So those two things we've known that was happening for a while. The rest of this, I would say, would be anecdotal more as someone who is answering questions from homeschooling. I've answered, you know, a statewide homeschool hotline for a while You literally have people calling and saying, you know, I have to work. How can I homeschool? Or uh, my partner left, but I still want to homeschool. And so you just begin to get an anecdotal sense that people are seeing this as a possibility, where in the past they didn't see it. And of course, uh, the pandemic definitely brought people to a point of feeling they needed to because the brick and mortar schools that were offering a remote learning option had to do it so fast that it wasn't always uh, an, a, an engaging experience. So people made the decision to homeschool in, when they were in different circumstances than they might have before.
0: I think the, the key word coming out of the pandemic was the possibilities. Like a lot of people, some people didn't, maybe were thinking about it or maybe never thought about it and then enjoyed it because they saw the possibility behind it. We had people on our street who chose to go to private schools. We had uh, friends and families and we've interviewed people. And we've met people at our parent partnership who started homeschooling during the pandemic because they had to, like they had no other choice and they're continuing on through it. and And I think they're seeing a lot of the possibilities with respect to say, you mentioned the pods or the micro schools that are appearing uh, now. As we move forward over the next five to ten years, we're starting to see a lot of possibilities policy-wise, you know, backpack funding, um, educational savings accounts, things of that nature. Um, it's opening up the the you know, an enormous amount of possibilities of alternative educational systems um, outside of the brick and mortar schools. Where do you see that going in the next five, 10 years? Are we going to see just a everybody gets 15 grand, go do what you want. Or are we going to, we're going to see that kind of piecemeal appear slowly. And then we're going to get the, you know, the side-by-side tests.
2: I think it's going to matter whether you live in a red state, a blue state, or a purple state. This is a political question. And uh, living in a state that's sometimes blue and sometimes red, uh, I know that when Democrats are in control of our state legislature, uh, the tendency is to see anything like funding following the student rather than being given to the school as being anti-public school. And uh, so that's not likely to happen there. Um, And when Republicans are in control, then I see more willingness to do those kinds of things. But often also a little bit of blindness as to what some of the limitations might be in that circumstance. Um, I, I do think that it's, that not everybody's going to agree on this. It's, it's going to be a political football because the the sums are so great. On the one hand, money that follows a child to whatever kind of education their parents think is going to work best will make homeschooling more available to more families. On the other hand, it may create some expectations for homeschoolers as far as what they should be doing that may make some homeschoolers uncomfortable. So in most cases, this kind of funding comes with strings attached, like, okay, the taxpayers are going to want to know if your kids can pass annual test, or if your kids can meet with a teacher and have progress evaluation, or are your kids using um, a certain correct kind of curriculum? And we already know what kind of fights we can get in over what curriculum is mm-hmm. correct. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's going to be a political football.
1: So it's interesting. You talked about the following the money and, and this, it's all about the money with the students. And, you know, you're talking about like online programs who really are going to try to chase that, right? So that school districts will choose them here in Western Washington. We have a really robust public parent partnership. So we have these alternative learning schools like the one that our child goes to. And mm-hmm. there's one in just about every district right in our area where they're just there to support homeschool kids, but they're doing it with public dollars. So they're keeping our money, right? They're getting that that money. Our school district's getting that money from the state, um, because our kid technically goes to school, but it's really in support of homeschooling. Do you, you see maybe that would be a trend that would start sprouting up in more states because they, they get to keep the money, but they allow us to have the freedom that we're kind of seeking?
2: In, in some places, I think, you know, some states are definitely saying the cons that homeschool advocates are saying could happen aren't happening here. And in a few states, there are people saying, oh, they're tightening up on us now. You know, they used to say in our charter school that we could do anything we wanted. Now they're saying that the teacher of our online class has to be a certified teacher in our state. And the company that we were taking those classes from isn't even based in our state. So, you know, I think it's it's a tangled web and we are going to see how it plays out Uh, over time, I think more possibilities could become available in some places, but in places where that is perceived as hurting public school, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: it will possibly continue to be seen that way.
0: It's kind of funny because it almost feels like homeschoolers are kind of in the middle. We're we're trying to advocate for our own block of people, but within this what what we're talking about this political battle of funding and where the funding goes you know what's captured up in there is private schools and charter schools and all these different other people who who may or may not be larger than homeschoolers and we're caught up in the middle of it and the regulations that it may apply to a charter school that is mimicking a public school May not shouldn't make should they apply to homeschoolers, but if we get caught up into the same funding mechanism, we we may have to have our own teaching certificates and our own requirements. And you're right, it does. There are a lot of strings there, and I don't think they'll. The one thing we know is there will never be enough nuance <laughs> carved mm-hmm. out into the in the legal process to allow us to do what we want. So. I, I, I totally understand.
1: Not for us. But we have to remember every yeah. time they try to put more regulations on us, that we are a motivated group of people that have time.
0: We're free
1: during the day to sit on the steps of the of Olympia, Olympia. In the Capitol, and be like, Mm-mm-mm.
0: come on, kids. We're
1: so, always surprised by how many homeschoolers turn up. They're like, what? They
0: came out of the woodwork. We're like, well, we're yes. home. We're government unit study, kids. We're Let's go do it.
2: Let's go to the <laughs> Capitol. <laughs> That that does sound great. I will have to say, in Virginia, we have been trying to get uh, homeschoolers access to sports teams in the high school level for many many years. Uh, it even was passed uh, once um, a, a, the type of legislation that would have allowed this to happen, and it was a time when we had um, a Democratic um, state legislature and a Republican governor. I've got it backwards. I've got it backwards. Our democratic governor at the time vetoed it because the public school supporters who, you know, had contributed a lot of money to a lot of campaigns and who that's who they were aligned with, uh, definitely did not want it. And it, and so we got all the way to the bill passing only to have a veto. So, uh, And we had huge turnout, a very organized campaign, years long, had all of the answers. We knew that um, three-fourths of the citizens of the state supported this, and it still did not get passed and become law. So, um, And we know that half the states in the U.S. allow it, and Mm. it doesn't cause a problem, but that wasn't good enough for our legislators. So... Advocacy is really important, and we think we can make a difference, and we can definitely make our voices heard, but I will tell you on this issue in particular, the the backpack funding and the educational savings account, homeschoolers do not all agree on it. Homeschoolers themselves do not all agree on it. Um, You can see very spirited debates, uh, and, and that may depend on state to state, like in one state where maybe a version of it is already working well enough that people aren't concerned about it maybe there's a united front there but in another state where there's not enough nuance <laughs> there is definitely not agreement even among homeschoolers so it's then it's very hard for legislators to figure out what do i do these people are telling me they want it but these people are telling me don't do it
1: right so. difficult to have a, a you know a yeah. coordinated community when one of the things about being a homeschooler is that you're independent and you do your own thing all the time. Right. So how do you get this whole group of people together? Yeah. So what, what do you, do you see this as as the biggest challenge in homeschooling now is, you know, kind of, you know, this legislative bit or, you know, what, what do you see as the, as, as the biggest uh, hurdle that we have to overcome as a, as a community?
2: I do think we are, getting more and more credibility as far as the quality of education and the fact that uh, we have our children's best interests in mind and that people who don't do a good job homeschooling aren't representative of the majority of homeschoolers, just the same as uh, is true for public school teachers and public schools. So I think that has come a long way. But I do think that the specter of what's going to happen with all this money, what's going to happen with online schooling is a definite scary specter. And and I'll give you a a strange example. One of them is accreditation. I constantly hear from people or see people ask uh, on social media, what accredited curriculum should I use in case my child wants to transfer back to high school? Well, first of all, curriculum is not accredited. Schools are accredited. And people don't know that. Second of all, in my state, accreditation has absolutely no bearing on whether you can transfer your homeschool credits to a public high school because now your child has decided in 10th grade that they want to go to high school. And you cannot convince people of the truth of this because they are so sure that accreditation means something that it doesn't mean. And the reason they think this is because in some states, in order to qualify to be one of the schools where where funding can follow it. So, okay, kids can enroll in this online school and we can access it as a homeschooler or as a person learning at home through public schools. That program or school has to be accredited. So that that program or online school goes to all the trouble to become accredited. And then it's also costly. And now they're going to advertise themselves as accredited and they're not going to distinguish between state lines. They're going to say... You know, we're the accredited XYZ Academy and it shows all kinds of 50 state confusion because it doesn't matter where I live, whether it's accredited or not. Parents end up paying a lot of extra money for something that has no value to them and and they can't be convinced that it's not true until they go to enroll their child in school in 10th grade and the school says, We won't accept any of those ninth grade credits. And this kind of confusion, Matt, you said it well, when you said there's not enough nuance. Mm-hmm. this kind of confusion is is going to be really hard to continue to deal with. Uh, and And it often new homeschoolers, I feel bad because they feel that they are being picked on when when experienced homeschoolers or advocates may be saying, "You know you might not really need accreditation." or don't make that your main qualifying." you know, there are bad accredited programs and good non-accredited programs. So it's not necessarily, they're not even the same accrediting institutions in a lot of cases as accredit public schools. So that's just one example. And you see how boring it is to keep saying accreditation. Over and over. <laughs> Nobody wants to think about this stuff.
0: Are people confusing accreditation with maybe like saying, uh, I've heard this term common core, is my cur- curriculum aligned with Common Core at a ninth grade level. Therefore, my kid is learning at a ninth grade level. Are they they trying to project that understanding?
2: I I don't think it's a Common Core confusion. I think it's a, I want to keep doors open for my kids. And Mm -hmm. I believe that I am being told that this will do that. And it's just not true. And it's not just my state. It's lots of people's states. Where this is not true. In fact, I I mean, I haven't tried to count them up, but it might be more where that doesn't matter than where it does. Where it does matter is where funding for these types of programs can come either to the parent who can elect to go into that program or to the program itself who can then offer itself for free through some kind of partnership or hybrid between public and private or whatever. So it's, it, it's really tricky. The whole 50 states, 50 ways of doing it is is going to be confusing as we work this out.
0: It's a great way to experiment, but then the experimentation can be confusing because across, you know, hey, I'm only 50 miles away from, you know, this state. Don't we do the same thing? No, you do, no, you do not. Yeah, yes. it's really Absolutely.
1: difficult. And finding information and finding the right laws. I mean, you know, you can go to HSLDA and that's really great, but it, it It's still difficult. It It is is still difficult. And I can see where it would be overwhelming for parents who want to know that they can, you know, leave that door open for their child. You know, what if we think homeschooling is great and then next year my kid just really needs to go back or I need to go back to work. So they need to go to school. What, What would be your advice for parents that want to leave that door open? Obviously don't fall for the accreditation trap, but like, you know, what would you say for a parent who's like, I'm not sure how long we're in for homeschooling?
2: That's a great question. We do have a good article about that um, at the Homeschool Mom that I wrote. And we'll get the link to that for people who are interested, um, because the main thing you have to realize is that once you're talking about going to school, you're playing by the school rules. So what you if you think that's a possibility, you need to talk to the school ahead of time and say, we want to try homeschooling. What's the most likely way that we could get credit for work done at home and try to make that smooth in case we want to re-enroll? Now, re-enrollment, all, all the schools, and this this is another little question. People will say, but I asked the school if we could re-enroll after homeschooling, and they said yes, of course. But you didn't ask whether they would transfer credits, especially at the high school level, or it, for younger kids, the question might be grade placement. So somebody says, okay, I'm going to hold my kid out for kindergarten and first. And then the school says, oh, we, but your child didn't do kindergarten or first. So now we want to put them in first. And, you know, those kinds of things can be really tricky. And you really have to try to talk with the school ahead of time, try to get your answers in writing and realize, I mean, honestly, it's still a little bit dicey because, even the person you talk to might change, might go to another school or, you know, decide to become a professional football coach and they're no longer there. So they, they don't, they aren't the authority anymore. So it's, it's, it's definitely more of a problem. Most of the time for younger kids, they simply place kids with their age mates. It's not that big a deal most of the time. Uh, but for high school, it can be really disappointing when a, Kid thinks, okay, I've decided actually I do want to play on the soccer team, so I want to go back to school. And, you know, I I even know recently heard of someone who was in school for two weeks before they found out that the school was going to consider them to be freshmen rather than the grade that they were actually in. Now, There's also things you can do. You can go to summer school. You can double up. There's actually some flexibility. Some people say, oh, I'll just take them back out and they can go to community college and we'll homeschool through graduation. So it's not like it's a lost cause, but it's not always the vision that somebody might have for what they thought they could do. (laughs) Well, and the
1: school so, is not set up yeah. to accept. I mean, that's, that's not their primary mission is to yeah. accept a homeschooler and give them credits and stuff, right? I mean, you're an exception to all of yeah. the rules.
2: And truthfully, they wouldn't have to do it even for people who are transferring in from another state or another country. Right. Um, homeschoolers are one of a few possible exceptions. Each state, again, can make its own rules as far as education credits.
0: So so would you extend the same constant vigilance, you know, talking, communicating ahead of time for if you're moving into back into public school or, you know, transitioning back and your student is like multiple levels above in math. Like I, we, we've talked about this as kind of like a funny thing yeah. is that like our daughter is technically first grade, but she's in third grade math.
1: And we're about to finish it.
0: About to finish potentially second grade math now. I mean, second grade reading. So like, I don't, I wouldn't want her to go into a second grade class or force her to go into a third grade class because I don't think emotionally she's ready to handle those kids at that age level, but that's the level of learning she's at. So I'd have to like take a demotion down a grade or maybe split the difference or something like that. Is there concerns as well in the homeschooling community around those, those type of things? Or have you seen that as being a problem?
2: i mean somewhat it's more in that case how bad does your kid want to go to school or do you need them to be in school yeah versus how much will it be a pain in the neck to them to not be working at their level certainly one of the big advantages of, of homeschooling is to be able to meet a child exactly where they are whether that be yeah. you know they uh, would be considered, you know, not on the same grade level or way above grade level. And in school, you know, there's not that same possibility. But sometimes people need their kids to be in a school because they need to work or they need to go to school themselves or whatever their situation is. And, you know, their child might do just fine and be a little bored in math and get an A or it might cause more problems. So Uh, Or some schools may have more flexibility. Some schools may have um, a special program where they pull kids out who are more advanced. And, you know, that might depend where you live. Again, so much depends on where you live.
0: (laughs) So maybe pivoting to the educator. I know a lot of times homeschooling is uh, we have this like Aya Sauron focus on the children. But a lot of times, you know, I always want to try to talk about the educator, you know, as a stay-at-home dad and the educator. I want to ask the questions for those parents out there who you know, may feel overwhelmed or they want to become better educators, you know, or do you have any resources or ideas on how parents can be better at educating? Um, are, are there, you know, is there a famous person you like to read or a reference a famous book or something of that nature that, hey, read this book, you'll become a better educator that way, or, you know, do these things and you you'll be better at being a general educator. Because we don't, you know, I don't do the 18 months and 12 credits that it would have taken me to get my teaching certificate at the local You know, college. I've looked into it and I didn't do it.
1: I feel like that's too few credits, but too few
0: credits. And none of those classes, I read all the class descriptions said how to teach math, how to teach reading, (laughs) how to teach science. None of them talked about that. And so I was like, okay, what am I going to get in there that, you know, I I could get somewhere else?
2: Great question. I think, first of all, it's important to know that being a responsive parent is probably Mm -hmm. going to always make you the best educator for your child, because if you're responsive to what they need to know or what they want to know, you're going to figure out how to help them have the resources or the experience to learn that. And there's mm-hmm. there's no drive stronger than a parent who wants to get their kids on a robotics team. You know, they're, they're, it, it's just, you're gonna make it happen because you're trying to be a responsive parent and through that, you're going to learn some of the techniques of doing that. But I'll recommend a couple of books that I think are uh, are very good. I was working at Brave Writer. I was and say, this has
1: got to be a Julie Bogart reference. She's my,
2: <laughs> right, right. She's my favorite. I, I, I did work for Brave Writer. And uh, my boss there is Julie Bogart. And she has two really good books, uh, The Brave Learner and uh, Raising Critical Thinkers. And I think those two books are very accessible for parents and would really help any parent who wants to learn more about how homeschooling can work well and really how learning works. Our The website that I write for, where I have a lot of my writing, thehomeschoolmom.com, has a ton of resources it has a whole homeschooling 101 section it has a whole section on high school it has a section for every subject that you would want to homeschool and there are everything from sort of tips and tricks and projects and specific things to do to things that are about a philosophy of education and Mm -hmm. that kind of thing i would also recommend we're getting ready to sort of reapproach conference season and convention season. And during the pandemic, that uh, whole thing took a little bit of a break, but I do see that some in person conferences are coming back. But additionally, many of those are now having an online component. If people aren't too zoomed out, it is another way to have professional development. And I really think that it's important. Some of the uh, online organizations and websites that don't have an in-person conference do have online webinars and conferences that are on particular dates, and then they continue to make their, their materials available. And they have everything from, you know, how to help a dyslexic child learn to read to how to create a high school transcript. Uh, and how to help you as a parent educator become a better, more responsive parent educator. So those are the things that I would suggest.
0: Um. So, you know, in our last interview with you, we talked extensively about your experience, um, getting your kids into college and the whole experience of, you know, the difficulties around that and and the challenges. Maybe we could summarize a little bit now about Maybe like, what are the most important things as your children get older? Do you need to focus on, do you need to start thinking about extracurriculars? Do you need to start thinking about volunteer hours and sports and things of that nature? How I should be structuring my curriculum and my, you know, accreditation? Should they be clepping out of classes at 16 years old and things of that nature, AP classes? Like, as you go into that, like, tw- you know, that sixth, seventh, eighth grade, once you get into that ninth grade, that's when we've always, I remember for us. That's when it matters guys. Now it counts, counts. you know, make sure you study hard. And, you know, when do we as parents need to start to wrap our heads around starting to plan that trajectory so that our children can, you know, be as successful as possible? Is that sixth grade, like 12 years old, 13 years old? Should we start to start planning that? What's your opinion on those ideas? I
2: I would say to start paying attention to it more than planning it. Uh, Start watching how other people are doing it when your child is in fifth, sixth grade, you know, maybe start uh, attending one or two of those webinars on, on that sort of thing. I wouldn't go as far as planning, but just kind of having your eyes open. And then I would say, as soon as your child starts learning for credit that could be considered high school credit, you want to begin keeping notes about everything. So for many kids now, they might take algebra and a second language in eighth grade, sometimes a few in seventh grade, and in a few cases even before that. But when it is truly a high school level effort, you want to start keeping notes about that. You don't actually have to put it in a transcript as long as you have a note about it, Because what's tricky is pulling all that together in retrospect, it can be done. I have helped lead people through that process of, okay, now what did you do, you know, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, there are ways to get to that. But it's certainly a lot easier if you have it in a notebook or on a Google Doc that you can pull up and say, oh, yeah, that's the time when we went did all those bird watching field trips. And we also that kind of thing. I think one reason that's really important is sometimes people have credits for things that they're not aware of and they don't become aware of them until they look at the longer view. And I'll, I'll give you an example that I like to talk about. I I had, um, I was doing an evaluation for a family where uh, uh, one of the teens had been very sick that year. And she said, you know, he just didn't do any science this year. I feel terrible. He just didn't do any science. And uh, so the kid and I were talking and we started talking about a documentary that we had both watched on Arctic foxes. And before we knew it, I realized that he knew every breed of fox around the entire world. He knew all about the habitat. He had gotten really interested from this documentary and done all of his own research and had even done some wildlife observation where he'd set up a camera. I said, you have a credit in vulpine biology. And she said what I said it's he knows it all it's it's a college level class, but it was her notes and his memory that made us realize that he actually had this done this learning so keep notes write it down there's and that's true of of volunteering and all that kind of thing too documenting, even if it doesn't have to be in a pretty format when you first start doing it, it just has to be somewhere where you can access it so that you can pull it into that transcript later.
0: So, so I actually I, had a, I wanted to key in on that. Um, so you're talking about Google docs and everything. You know, when I graduated from high school, I went to a private school. I, I, my, you know, I was asked my transcripts and it was like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year, here are the classes, here are the grades, here's his average GPS. And I just like Xerox that onto my college transcripts. What are the colleges expecting, like maybe just like one example, like your science example, what are they expecting to see from this science or the math? Like, okay, uh, Johnny did um, ninth grade geometry and we we did the Hutton Mifflin version of the book and we went from chapter one to 13. And, you know, is that good enough or are they looking for something that says, this isn't mom writing this down. This is Johnny actually knows the information. How do you prove that?
2: Yeah, so that's why you need the outside evidence, which is something we talked about in the last, um, in the last interview that we did, which is you want something that does verify that uh, mom grades are not the only thing that this kid has. But it's not that hard to do. So, for instance, uh, I tell a lot of people, you can just put down English 9, English 10, English 11, English 12. That's all it would be from your public high school transcript. Um, Now you could give them all A's if they did, you know, what the kind of mastery level work that you think they should have done. Where that really looks real is when your child takes a community college class or passes an AP exam and they get an A or you know, they have written a paper that was accepted to a a science organization and they went and gave a presentation that was based on original research. Oh, that turns out to be a pretty good verification that the, the science grade that mom or dad put on the transcript actually was real. Now, in some cases, kids may specialize to an extent Uh, maybe they want to major in English and um, they got in a really cool Shakespeare group and they performed in plays and they also did Shakespeare on the mall. And they also wrote sonnets and they, you know, read, you know, five Shakespeare plays and discussed them and went to a homeschool group that discussed them. Well, maybe then that one's called English nine focus on Shakespeare. So it, it, it's, it's not. It doesn't have to be uniform. It can be what is the best story that you and your kid can tell about your your student's high school learning. That's what the transcript is going to be. And colleges colleges are used to some some variety. So,
1: do you recommend that if somebody's approaching this, like you said, he had a, a class in vulpine research or whatever, like. I would not know to put that down. Do you recommend when somebody's getting to that point to you know engage somebody who who uh, is is knowledgeable about this to help help them prepare this like consultant or something to help like, okay, here's what I've got. How can you know who, who knows this process better? Right, we feel like I feel like we only have one chance at this. I've got one. I'm going to have. We, we're going to get two. We can well, screw okay. up
0: on one of them, but we all we, <laughs> kids only going to get one it's chance. We've got to one, work on the second one.
1: Where we have to put together a really good transcript, and we have to do it correctly. And I feel like there's so much pressure on that. Do you recommend that they find somebody that can help them through that?
2: Well, you can definitely. Uh, there there are homeschool college counselors now that you can do. Mm. You can also use the this same counselors that other people use for college admittance mittens, but you can also go to workshops and attend webinars where you will get ideas. And it's, it's, it's exactly like, I mean, I I was listening to your podcast about dinosaurs and you were talking about how you find the books and decide which book you're going to read in this unit on dinosaur. Well, Probably before you did have this experience of picking dinosaur books, you didn't have training in picking dinosaur books, but you learned how to do it. You learned that over time, okay, they're gonna like the one with more pictures and they actually like a little bit higher reading level because dad's gonna read aloud anyway. And you learn what that's gonna take. The same thing happens if you start paying attention to how people are doing transcripts and what the advice is and and what the examples are that are available on the internet. Uh, I tell you, there's another good uh, book. Um, Blake Bowles has a book called College Without High School. And he has a lot of this language and explains a lot of how you can put things together like this. But it might not have to be a professional. It might be your sister or your best friend who graduated a child four years before you. I mean, it's it's just a matter of getting your mind in the right place and mm and leaning into the creative thinking that shows off what your child's true story is. The words will come to you because you will have been living those words. Awesome.
1: So can you tell us a little bit more about The Homeschool Mom and what Mm -hmm. people can find on there?
2: The Homeschool Mom is one of the oldest, one of the first homeschool websites, and what I love about that is that that means there is a wealth of information because it's been around a long time and it's a really credible source, but the homeschool mom also does a really good job of keeping things updated and covering some of the new issues, like some of the things we've been talking about. And we, we there's an article uh, there about online schooling, about some of the funding for homeschooling. We There's really an effort to keep things updated. There There are, uh, articles that will help people with all kinds of school and homeschool issues. So that's where I've chosen to put my writing because I feel like it's a really credible resource that really has its heart in the right place as far as helping people and keeping things updated. So the homeschool mom, it's, it's the URL is the homeschoolmom.com and there is everything from how to get started to every subject that you might want to homeschool, different styles of homeschooling. There are some free downloads like the transcript builder that I have mentioned before. And there are helps for every possible aspect, not only for transferring to homeschooling and how to adjust, but also for re entering public school if that's what. Is needed. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a very comprehensive website with a really warm and friendly tone. I read a few things on there, and they've all been really high quality. Yeah,
0: your your advice column was 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 really fun. Like getting the questions and seeing, you know, how you know because with every single person, there's the the uniqueness of their question is very unique to their experience, and we start to see that you know everybody's homeschool experience is like. Wildly different, and they have different issues, and it was fun to read through a bunch of those, and I, I enjoyed him uh, uh, a lot. I really did.
2: That's so, great. Yeah, you're talking about the Ask Jeannie column, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that's been been popular because it is very individual, and yet you have to help people see that there are principles that exist for all of us, even though what we're feeling is really individual.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
2: So before we let you go, I'd love to ask you as a homeschool
1: advocate and coach this idea that we have leaders at all levels this is, I mean, this is a little bit of my corporate coming out but um well, that you know it's not just here, it's not just the executives that we're leaders at every level of the organization we should all be leaders i feel like we should all be homeschool advocates and homeschool coaches right to each other because you talked about oh maybe you're going to find out from that friend of yours who graduated a kid 4 years ago how did they do it what advice do you have for us and how we can be better advocates for each other and coaches for each other mm-hmm. in this community.
2: Oh, that might be my favorite question ever. And I want to answer it two ways. One thing I want to say is volunteer for your local and state homeschool organizations. I guarantee you that your state homeschool organization has work that you can do right now that will help you learn about the legislative process that will help you learn about the complications of getting things passed in your state that will help you learn what the main questions are that homeschoolers have and that will help you meet homeschoolers that are in need. I had the best time answering the homeschool helpline for my state organization, where my favorite question that I ever got was, Where do my kids meet the homeschool bus? And he's uh, <laughs> learned so much about what people are thinking about homeschooling. So, volunteer volunteer for your co-op or for your local organization or your state organization. When you can, don't feel bad when you can't, if you got a new baby or a new job or a new divorce, you know, that's okay. But when you can volunteer and just make it specific and limited, you know, I I can give this many hours. My expertise is no, it's not in fixing snacks at the conference. No, I don't want to do the snack table, but what I want to do is, Uh, your social media, or whatever small thing you want to do. But the other thing I want to say is on the person-to-person level, it is really about listening and accepting. It is really about knowing that people do have those individual situations that they are trying to navigate, and you're telling them what you would do may not be what they should do but you're asking them questions and listening and 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 accepting their step through the whole process will help them work it out so be a good listener share experience without saying that their experience needs to be identical to yours and provide that sort of unconditional support because they may not make the same choices that you make but if you tell them how to do something and then they don't do it that way or that way doesn't work for them, they'll never come back to you for homeschool help again. But if you give them ideas, if you give them information, if you give them a listening ear and you keep that empowerment on their side, then you really will have been not just a homeschool friend, but a homeschool advocate and a leader for that person.
0: I agree. That's great that advice. That's great. That will you don't want to take up any more of your time. Thank you, Thank so, you much so much for spending all this time with us. And, uh, it was really enlightening and it was wonderful. Thank you.
2: Oh, this has been delightful. I really love your podcast and, you. um, and we are fortunate at the homeschool mom to have one of your videos, uh, on the homeschool mom website that is about how to get organized, um, with your homeschooling with Trello, which is kind of how I found you all. So I think we have a good meeting of the minds and Mm -hmm. I really appreciate the, the cross pollinization there.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Thanks so
1: much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media, join our homeschool together podcast group on Facebook and find us at homeschool together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy
0: homeschooling. You're self-prescribed Trekkie. And uh, what is your favorite episode and what episode would you make every homeschool family watch?
2: Oh, gosh. I will tell you first that when I introduced the original series to my kids, they could hardly watch it because it's so campy and the special effects, you know, you got all the fake rocks and the bad makeup and the, you know, you you, you've got women in space, but they're wearing super short skirts and very tight, you know, they couldn't, they couldn't make it work. So I am not sure that you can, you know, that, that the whole family can make the leap. I'm just not sure. But I will tell you that my favorite episode, I've all, I, I've always thought of it as the half-white, half-black episode, but that's not the name of it. And I'm I'm trying to look through here to see if I can figure it out. The real name of the episode is Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. And when I saw this as a young person, uh, the Star Trek crew encountered a civilization that was in great turmoil because of a big race war. And of course, this remember Star Trek was made originally in the in the 60s, and uh, they beamed up the two races, and one was half black, half white, and the other was half white, half black. The makeup was terrible; it was literally paint on the face, so heavy-handed. The message was even heavy-handed, but at the time, I remember being thunderstruck at the absurdity. Of this, the only way to maybe watch this as a homeschool family is if you can also help maybe your teens place this in the context of this TV show was making this social commentary at a time when nobody else could say anything like this. Um, Otherwise, it just looks like people in bad makeup, but I remember saying oh yes that is how absurd it is that we have these problems in our world
0: nope that's a good episode that's a good episode there's another episode too that i liked um where they our little one is up um that they were you had to go into like a chamber and you got zapped and it was the way to keep peace and it was like a random lottery because they were fighting this war or something of that nature and they people got like Like you got your lotto ticket and you just walked into this chamber and you like, you know, essentially evaporated and Kirk is running around freaking out. Like, why are people just walking into this thing? This is crazy. And he couldn't understand it. I remember watching that episode and really like being struck that, you know, this is a deep. You know, the the show is deeper than most people think it is.
2: Yeah, it's got that, that episode has some sort of 1984
0: overtones yeah, to it. Right? It does. It does. So,
2: um, yeah. Yeah. So I'm a, I'm a bit of a Trekkie. I don't know that the original series translates well to um, today's production values for sure. Um, but when I put it in context of what was going on in the world at the time, it's it's still pretty amazing to me that that the producers made that leap yep, that won't.